Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the 21st episode of the Independent Advisors podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So good morning to you, Matt. Good morning, Mark. How you doing? Good, good. Uh, getting back into the swing of things here. We were out of the office last week, so apologize again for not recording an episode, but we were somewhere where we just couldn't bring uh, the equipment with us. So um Back to normal this week. Back to normal. It's been a busy week. Yeah, it has been. It has been. Um, so as always, just want to take uh, the first couple of minutes and recap the performance for the month in the year of the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on November 20th. And the data is from stockcharts.com. S&P 500 index is up 2.33% for the month and up 23.99% for the year. The Dow is up 3.09% for the month and up 21.85% for the year. Uh, the NASDAQ up 2.83% for the month and 28.51% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 is up 2% for the month and 19.57% for the year. The International Index X United States up 1.44% for the month and up 15.8% for the year. And the three-month treasury currently at 1.57%, the two-year treasury yielding 1.6%, and the 10-year treasury yielding 1.79%. So um, yields continue to get uh, larger and larger here, I think, as the expectation yep. um, that the Fed is no longer going to continue on its rate cut path as it has this past year. Yeah, we kind of highlighted that in the uh, last podcast, podcast number 20. I know we talked about that. So, you know, again, you know, kind of talking to, you know, what are the big news headlines and the current events, you know, from the past week? I'm going to hit on that if that's okay, Mark. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the market has been making new highs on optimism regarding U.S.-China trade. You know, the Fed providing what I would call behind-the-scenes liquidity to the to the banks. Um, people in Wall Street world are kind of calling this QE4. And overall, uh, Q3 corporate earnings have been good, and we're seeing a generally strong U.S. consumer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'm going to talk a little further about Q3 earnings. On November 15th, Braver Capital Management said that of the 500 companies in the S&P 500 index mark, 457 of those have reported by that date. And they said of that, 75% of those have done better than analysts expected. So it's a way for you and me to kind of put some data behind when we say, overall corporate earnings in the third quarter were good. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And going into Q4, I think that bodes well for the markets, um, especially, you know, getting into the holiday spending season. 
Um, there are some retail companies. The retail was a little mixed um, going into Q4, but I think overall we're in a good, pretty good positive spot. Positive bias. Positive bias spot with the markets making new highs. Um, you know, I think the path of least resistance is up at this point. Yeah, I mean, because what you're going to have here is the seasonal hiring of a lot of companies. Um, some people that have those jobs already are going to have longer hours. So that's going to put money in the consumer's pocket. The only thing I want to throw out there that I can think about from the U.S. consumer spending standpoint is I think we have six days less of a holiday spending period. Just the way with Thanksgiving falling this year compared to last year. Right. So throwing okay. that out there. And uh, then I got one more thing, Mark, for you. Update on the government shutdown. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so Congress is supposed to vote this week on another continuing resolution to prevent the government from shutting down. The legislation will keep the government open through December 20th, Mark, okay? And this action would prevent our fourth shutdown in just the last two years, okay? Yeah, so I saw it got through the House, and it's going to the Senate now, correct? Uh, I did not see that yet, so you're you're ahead of me, so it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, so I think it's going to go to the Senate, and I would expect it to pass. I mean, Um, it's smart, but this would be, in my eyes, the Democrats putting forth this to— peg it to December 20th because it's the last day that Congress is probably in session before they leave for the holiday break. Who's going to shut the government down before Christmas? Right, right. Exactly. Smart. Yeah. Smart. Very smart. Um, Yeah. So um, not much else going on other than the markets continue to make new highs and, you know, everyone's calling for uh, a pullback and um, we haven't really got one yet. Um, you know, a, a, pull, a pullback, in my opinion, can come in many different forms as just sideways consolidation yep. or a pullback to the breakout area um, from the fresh highs that we made last week in the markets. Um, but it doesn't have to be a 10% or a 7% pullback. It could just be a little bit of calm in the markets for the next couple of weeks and then possibly continue to move higher. It's a great point, Mark. Now, remember, you and I, I think, did a very good job in the last podcast talking about how pullbacks are going to be normal. You know, it's these things happen all the time. Now, here's what it made me think about when you were speaking. People that have cash on the sidelines that will sit there and say, oh, on this next pullback, I'm going to put this money to work. Right. Right. Pullback happens. And what, it, what, is, what is the psychological response to that? The market's going to keep going lower. There you go. Right. So I think you got to be predetermined on that and kind of have a game plan. If if you're an investor, you know, kind of have your game plan in place ahead of time. Yeah. Is is something that you would want to consider. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So moving on to articles, tweets and research for the week, I'll kind of let you start, Matt, with a couple of points. I believe I got three, Mark. So I'm going to dig in. So my first piece is from uh, Bespoke Investment Group last week. Um, They had a note on housing starts. I'm going to read it to you. It says, as a gauge of the economy, housing starts have historically been an important signal. Now, um, I'm going to talk about a chart that's going to be on our uh, website, listeners. Uh, It's going to be under the show notes, okay? And we'll highlight that again at the end. But this chart shows that um, every prior recession in the last 50 years was preceded by a rollover in the 12-month moving average of housing starts. And when the average started to decline earlier this year, it started to raise concerns, Mark. Now, while not every decline in the 12-month average was followed by a recession, it still warranted watching the signs for further weakness, right? So it may be hard to see it on the chart, but after a modest pullback earlier this year, the 12-month average of housing starts has started to rise again in recent months. 
Now, Bespoke says with housing starts back on the rise, it should ease recession concerns from earlier this year. So I'll kind of pause there and get your thoughts. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it, it, I mean, just looking at the chart, it doesn't look like a rollover yet to me. Yep. Um, I think this might be a little premature for, for that. But, yep. um, you know, it's definitely just another you know, another thing you can throw into the the bunch of economic indicators that typically start to roll over before recession hits, right? Absolutely. So again, you know, this is, you know, bespoke, I'm quoting in this, I would agree with what you said 100%. Okay? Yeah. yeah. So just goes back to the fact that, you know, there's a lot of mixed signals out there. And I don't think anyone can look at it objectively and say, and say oh, this, this is, one a, this is, is what's going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, I said I had three, I had four, I apologize. But these will be a little quicker. Next one is from BTN Research on November 18th. It says that going back to 1928, Mark, the S&P has gained on average 12.9%. That's a total return during election years when the nation's sitting president is running for re-election. Since 1928, the S&P has gained just 4.5% during election years when the sitting president is not seeking re-election. Yeah. Do you know if that was if that's uh, an average of 12.9 percent per year for the election years or if that's the total of every election year? OK, that's, that's OK. I just wanted to clarify yep. that. Yeah. Uh, I just thought it was an interesting statistic. Yeah. Right. It's just one of those other data points. More conflicting data. Here you go. Next one was from uh, the Department of Commerce and MFS Research on November 18th. It's putting the U.S. consumer into perspective with the Chinese consumer. Now, the reason I wanted to share this with listeners, Mark, is I think it'll help give a little bit of, um, say, flavor on where we stand in the size of our economy and what drives it and the size of the Chinese economy and what drives theirs. Yeah. Okay. So it's very quick. Consumer spending by Americans make up an estimated 70% of our $21.5 trillion economy. Consumer spending by Chinese citizens makes up an estimated 40% of their $14.2 trillion economy. Anything you have to say to that? Yeah, it just kind of shows the stark contrast between our two economies and that, you know, obviously the, the American is a a consumer and that's what drives the economy sure. and and you know the chinese historically have been known to be savers and not spend as much um i think that they've been going more towards consumption consumption in yep. the the last decade or so um but it's just you know it's interesting to see the differences um in the two economies and that's why i think it's so hard for people to compare the u.s economy to the chinese economy that's because why I wanted it's, to highlight it's this. comparing apples to oranges there at you that go. point yeah that's exactly yeah. what I wanted. Um, I was thinking, and, and you're thinking yeah. the same way. One more. thought this was interesting. Uh, student debt. Uh, this is from the Brookings Institute. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about how much the one percenters in the U.S. own of overall stocks. So I thought this was interesting. Just 6% of the 45 million Americans that have student debt loans hold 33% of the nation's 1.5 trillion of outstanding student loans. This group is compromised of, um, comprised, I'm sorry, of borrowers with at least 100,000 of outstanding student loan debt. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, you know, obviously I think it's still a major problem that we have in our, 
in our economy today is that, you know, all these young Americans are saddled with a lot of debt. Um, and it's hard to dig yourself out of that hole. Absolutely. And, you know, you and I talked about it in the previous podcast. You know, at the end of the day, if it's easy for students to get loans, there's an incentive for these universities to keep raising prices. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think you need to you need to put some sort of restriction on student loans. And, you know, obviously when there's not as or much inflation controls on these prices. Right, right. Because when there's not as much money chasing, you know, all of these different colleges, then prices should, based on supply and demand, come down. Right. Um, but when there's a, an abundant supply of money chasing all these different colleges, then they have the ability to keep raising prices. Right. It's capitalism. Yeah. Um, I just had one um, that I found interesting. I was listening to another podcast. Um, it's from the Systematic Investor Series podcast. And um, Jerry Parker was talking, and Jerry's a, a, a trend-following trader, um, most known for his turtle project back in the day with uh, Richard Dennis. But yep, yep. Um, he was saying something aligns of, along the lines of don't fall in love with a story when it comes to a stock. Um, and people tend to invest in companies that fall in love with the story that the company tells. And and I and feel free to push back on me on this, Matt, because I know that and just for everyone listening, Matt and I don't always all the time agree. No, um, no. And that's you know, what we have debates work. and stuff. So feel free to push back on this. But in my opinion, we don't necessarily need to worry why a stock is going up, but just be concerned that it's going up. So people get entangled with, you know, why Apple or why Amazon is going up. And I think that that can get you into trouble sometimes because a good example of this is Tesla. And Tesla is up over 90% since June 3rd, and it's still an unprofitable company, right? And so Jerry Parker was using that as the example. Yeah, well, I just picked out Tesla as, okay, as, right, right, right. as my own example. But, um, you know, so... So people think that Tesla should be worth nothing, right? Um, Some but, do. But it's trading at $350 per share. So I think people get too tangled up with the why instead of just being in stocks that are rising or being in the market that is rising. Um, you know, another good example of this is GE. You know, people rode that thing all the way down to single digits, but people have owned it for 20 or 30 years and they have an emotional attachment to it. And I just think that, you know, that could get people in trouble sometimes when you're really trying to create wealth. Um, so I, I say, you know, like I've said before on this podcast, keep things simple and don't get, you know, going down into a rabbit hole as to why exactly Apple is up 5% in any given week. Yeah, I think sometimes too, you could have the, <clears throat> our industry tries to put labels like cult following stocks. And they tend to be more trendy type companies where, say, the leader is larger than life, right? And so it's going to be interesting. I guess my initial feedback to this is I definitely see where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. I guess that um, just with my experience, I definitely have done this in my earlier years of my career, very earlier years. And I'm at the point now where I'm trying to look at things from a multifaceted approach of, you know, where I think the economy is going, where I think the money flow is going to be going in these names. I think there's a lot to it. But I think when you look at the fear and greed, the two primary emotions when it comes to investing, I think, you know, people get so caught up in some of these cult-like uh, leaders because they're so iconic. They're so larger than life. 
And I think that the message that I want to send is just make sure you're doing your research in these companies. Right. 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 And I think that's kind of where you're at coming from. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Because I mean, and people I was hearing arguments that why Apple has gone up, it's because, you know, their wearables are going through the roof and but their iPhone sales have decreased. So what and people, I think, just get way too deep into like the nitty gritty details. And it's like. Yeah, that could be driving it, but does anyone really know for sure that the wearables, that's what has driven that's Apple to... That specific reason? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just, yeah. it's hard. To, I think it's hard. It's hard for even for us to discern why, if that's the driving force behind if Apple's yeah. going up. And I think for a listener, if they're not willing to put in the time and effort to be trading individual names on their own, I wouldn't recommend it, mm -hmm. right? Just for some of the reasons we just brought up today, yeah. right? We, we do this. Yeah. As our job. Yeah. And I think this applies to the broader market too. It's like, why is the market going up for the average person that <laughs> they don't need to know or care, but they should be in the market if the market's going yeah, you up. And I right? kind of highlighted yeah. the first thing we kind of talk about after you go over the numbers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I think this is a great point. I think it kind of highlights that, you know, there's going to be names like that out there. Um, mm -hmm. And so I just tell listeners, if you're going to be in names, um, any individual names, even ones that are more speculative, just make sure you're doing your homework. Yeah, and have a game plan, yeah. like we always talk about, too. And we're not recommending any of those names. No, no, just using them as examples. Yes. Um, so moving on to the financial planning topic of the week, um, we've recently received some questions regarding, you know, what it means um, when the Federal Reserve cuts interest rates. So we can talk all analytical and all data, um, you know, till the, t the cows come home, Matt, but I found an interest rate or excuse me, I found this article that I'm about to talk about interesting because it, you know, it tells how does this affect the average consumer got it. right got it um so i found the article from think advice the think advisor website which i've mentioned before on this podcast and the article's titled what the fed rate cut means for the average american um, and this was written by michael fisher so the article was written uh, based on comments from two analysts neil stern and monica sanye hope i'm saying that last name right, Monica. Um, and again, I will link to this article in the show notes on our website at www.jessupwealthmanagement.com um, under show notes, which is under the podcast tab, if you'd like to read the full article, because I'm just going to mention a couple of things that, that I found interesting. So, um, so again, just to give people a little bit of background for the third time this year in October, the Fed cut rates to a range of 1.5% to 1.75%. Um, and there's a quote in the article from Neil that says, if you're paying off a credit card balance, check your statement to see if your card has a variable interest rate, which is likely to decline in response to a Fed rate cut. Lower interest charges can enable the cardholder to pay off the balance faster just by maintaining the same payment as before since more of the payment will reduce the amount old owed excuse me um so if you haven't already i think this would be a good time matt to yep. check and see if your credit card has a variable interest rate um so now might be a, a good time as well to start aggressively paying that down yep. uh, that balance down because more of it's going to be paid towards principal 
Um, so Stern goes on to say that now may be a good time to shop around for lower rates as card issuers can compete for business by passing along the lower rates and balance transfer and other offers. Um, but be sure to understand the terms and any fees involved because, you know, these credit card companies are always competing with each other to get more business, but, um, you know, they're going to have those teaser rates. Yeah. And sometimes there's, there's some hidden fees involved. Just be careful when the, when the introductory rate goes away. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The introductory one year rate, that's like 4% or 0% and then it jumps to 17%. You got it. Um, so obviously another area where rate cuts um, have a pretty big effect is mortgages and home equity loans um, and the payments on those which may decline. Uh, so Stern says that's a great opportunity to use the savings that you're saving from your mortgages and home equity loans that um, interest rates are declining to increase your 401k contributions at work especially if you're not already taking full advantage of your employer's matching, Stern said. Um, so this is, I think this is also a good time to consider refinancing your home or switching to a fixed rate mortgage at this time, um, especially if yours is currently variable, um, just because, Absolutely. you know, at least, in at, these rates. at least now it doesn't look like the Fed is going to be cutting rates any further, at least in the next, I would say, six to eight months. Um, and I would argue based upon futures at the CME in Chicago, right? Yeah. yeah. And I would argue maybe even longer than that. Um, so, you know, this is another good time to take a look at your mortgages, see if you can refi, get into a fixed rate because interest rates are, are pretty low right now. Yeah. And if people are looking for a referral to a, a mortgage broker, we have a relationship with one in town. Um, just, a, just a friendship that I have with a gentleman. That's an option I can refer if someone's interested. Um, so the article goes on and talks about um, interest rates also affecting savers. So if your bank lowers the interest rate on your savings account, it pays to shop around, including a look at online banks and credit unions that can compete for your funds, Stern said. And I've seen this a lot, actually, just in ads that I get on the, the websites and the, the stations that I watch. Yep. Um, the, I've seen several ads recently for online banks and high-yield savings accounts. Um, so an example of an online bank is something like Ally Financial mm-hmm. um, or the high-yield savings accounts um, called Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Yeah, I've, seen, I've, I've seen ads for those, too. Yep. Um, so those um, have... Looks like that they're yielding more than a normal um, account at one of the major banks. So maybe that's something to look into for people um, now that interest rates have come down so low that people aren't earning as much in their savings accounts anymore. That's right. And so, you know, a question we get a lot from clients is, hey, how much should I keep in a savings account? Right. And so academia world would say three to six months of expenses should be in your savings account. Right. That's what academia world says. And uh, when it hits real life. It depends upon the client, right? right? Depends upon their attitude towards risk. It depends upon at what point of life that they're in, you know? So that's something that we tend to talk through. So I just wanted to throw that comment out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the last thing that I took away um, from this article is that uh, Sanier uh, noted that the rate cut would pinch savers and retirees, lowering rates they receive on saving accounts, money market accounts, and CDs. So just to follow up to what I just said, but um, 
you know, this is nothing new, Matt, is, you know, this has been going on for a long, long period of time. And I'm talking about decades Yep. that if you just look at interest rates on a chart, it's just been a slow step down. And, you know, it, it begs the question is, you know, are we ever going to get back to the point where people are ever earning, you know, four or five or maybe even 6%? Yeah, on, I mean, I entered the, the industry in the late 90s, they were there in money yeah. market rates. Yeah. But... I don't know. We're just not there yet. So I think people need to look, look elsewhere for yield. In my view, things go through cycles, mm -hmm. right? It's only a matter of time uh, before rates have to turn higher. Yeah. So, you know, when that's going to be, who knows? But right. in my view, you know, just looking at things, things always go through cycles. Yeah. Yep. Um, anything else you wanted to talk about before we went on to questions? Uh, no, Mark. Matt, no. We have one question. Uh, market, I would say next week, just so people know, is a is a half day um, on ne next Friday. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, yeah. For Black Friday. Yep. Yep. Um, so uh, we had a question submitted from Bev. So Bev asks, what do you think about having parents making contributions into a Roth IRA if they are employed in high school and college? Um, so I'll start. You I'll start. I'll just have, I'll um, I think that's a great idea. Um, a lot of people, I think, aren't aware that, you know, if their kids are working in high school or college, that they can contribute to an IRA or a Roth IRA because they have earned income. That's right. Um, so the the key here, though, is, you know, the contribution limit for 2019 and 2020 to a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA is six thousand dollars per year. When you're when you're under the age of 50. When you're under the age of 50, correct. Um, and the only stipulation for, you know, kids that are working in college or high school is that they can only contribute as much as they earn. So for correct. example, if someone is working in high school and they only make $3,000 per the year, their limit is $3,000 to be able to contribute to that Roth IRA for that year. You can't contribute more. Got it. It's up to what you make or a maximum of six. Yeah. So Correct. on the other side, if the the child makes $10,000 per year, then they can fully max out the Roth IRA by contributing $6,000 per year into it. You got it. Yeah. And so, you know, in, when parents, Bev, asked this question to me, I think it's phenomenal because the compounding effect on that money, Bev, over the rest of their life until they retire, and then that money comes out completely tax-free, phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I mean, you would be really setting your child up for, in my eyes, the beginning of a solid uh, foundation for their financial future. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's it's tough to get your kids to do that because, you know, it's, you know kids, they earn money, so they want to spend money. Absolutely. Um, but I think that the you know, that's a big benefit. Um, if you can start your kids and your children early and getting them into the habit of saving and not always just spending, you know, that could be um, extremely beneficial down the road for them, um, you know, going forward to be, you know, financially responsible. And the last thing I want to add to this is when they do get that first job and they got that employer sponsored plan, that 401k, don't forget to talk to them about what Mark and I call our plus 1% strategy, Bev. And what that means is, let's say they get that job, right? Let's say they got some student loans and the cash flow is a little tight and they say, eh, I don't want to start the 401k. Tell them to start just at 1%. But then 12 months later, Mark knows where I'm going to go with this. You raise it by another one. 
And then in year three, you raise it by another one. So then a decade later, they're at a 10% contribution rate. You raised it slow enough. They're really not noticing it in their paycheck, Bev. And if they consistently do that, or at least if they stop at 10 or keep going, they're really going to be set up, um, again, building that solid financial foundation. And yeah. Mark, anything you want to add? Yeah, no, I think I think that's great. Um, I mean, I, and I obviously wouldn't recommend this, but if it came down to it in a Roth IRA, um, you know, you can take out your contributions at any time without penalty. Um, so if because that money's already been taxed, because that money's already been taxed. So, you know, the thinking there is if, you know, they do need assistance for college or something, they can take out their contributions. Now, I don't recommend it because I think that hinders the, the, the whole, point of saving yeah, into the exactly. account. But um, but that is a, a flexible option for people too. excellent point, Mark. Yeah. So, Bev, thank you for the questions. Please keep them coming. Yeah. Um, so unless you have anything else, Matt, I think that wraps up everything that I had. Um, no, I think you're going to be recording early next week. Yeah. Uh, so probably Tuesday. Tuesday. Um, just because of the long, uh, or the, the Thanksgiving holiday next week and I'll be traveling for some of the week. So Matt and I are going to try to do it while we're here together in the office. Yeah. On Tuesday, probably um, Tuesday morning. So, um, expect to hear or to have, uh, episode 22 come out sometime early next week. Um, but thank you again, everyone, for listening to the 21st episode of the Independent Advisors podcast. Hope everyone has a fun weekend. And uh, I just got to throw it throw out there. I'm going up to Columbus for the Penn State, Ohio State game. Have fun, my friend. Um, so uh, roll Penn State, baby. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll talk next week about it. Yeah, we on the, will. On the Tuesday number 22 podcast. <laughs> Have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. And also check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. Here you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com, and we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.